0: Hi coaches and thanks for joining me for the 18th episode of season two of the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. Today I am joined by two coaches rather than one to share some of the amazing work they've done putting together a new coaches association for Latino women in sports. Before sharing more about their work in this area, let me first introduce the two guests. Nadia Abdallah played four years at Arizona State University before playing professionally on the WTA Tour, reaching a career high of number 517. Since 2014, she has served as the Assistant Women's Coach at the University of San Diego. Clarissa Baca was a standout player at Sacramento State, helping her team to four straight Big Sky Conference Championships and was herself a four-time All-Big Sky selection. She is now the Head Women's Coach at the Academy of Art, where she helped the program reach its highest national ranking in program history, coming in at number five in 2019. Both Clarissa and Nadia were born and raised in Mexico and have been known each other since their early days in the sport of tennis. In this podcast, we discuss their experiences moving to the USA and how they transitioned into college coaching. They founded the Latina Tennis Coach Association in 2019 with the focus of empowering Latina women in sports and in tennis. They currently have approximately 170 members with 60 of these members having played college tennis. 10 current members are also college tennis coaches. If you would be interested in joining, please go to the Latina Tennis Coach page on Instagram and fill out a short form. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nadia and Clarissa. Clarice Baca, Nadia Abdallah, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thank
1: you, Dave, for uh, the opportunity and the space. Since day one, I've been following your podcast, especially through the pandemic. It has been really great to hear from a lot of different coaches uh from all different divisions all different backgrounds and it has been very educational at least for for myself uh, to be able to apply some of those uh learning lessons um onto my whole program so uh, thank you for for inviting us and um and I'm looking forward for more podcasts to come
0: <laughs> well, thanks for that compliment I, I was going to ask you some really hard questions, but I'll be a little nicer now after all those uh, <laughs> complimentary remarks. So no, this is great interacting with both of you and and if we stumble over one one another from time to time, I'm sure the listeners will forgive us but really want to to get started with kind of your, your background. So you both grew up in Mexico. You ended up coming to the USA on a tennis scholarship. I, I can relate to that growing up in Ireland and coming over from a foreign country. But can you tell us a little bit about your junior career and how you ended up at your respective universities?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, that's a great question. You know, since early on, I started like many others, just hitting against the wall. That was a long time ago. And, um, uh, I was, uh, I was, I, I, I got hooked. Uh, I would go home and hit against a wall on my house. And my dad was like, well, this girl really likes tennis, I guess. And, you know, I started taking lessons at the age of seven and I was very competitive since early on. I only played tennis. I don't know how to play other sports. Of course, I'm from Mexico, so I know how to play soccer. <laughs> but besides that, you know, I started competing early on. I, and, and even in tournaments at a really young age, at the age of nine, I would would compete on those like uh, Christmas tournaments against adults on the early categories. Um, It's really fun to watch videos of me uh, playing against those, uh, uh, you know, 40-year-old gentlemen or or ladies. Um, But after that, you know, I start competing on the national level, um, you know, Orange Bowl at the age of 12, a junior Fed Cup and playing in South America and in, in Europe. And of course, when I turned, uh, you know, around 11 years old, uh, Nadia and I met up, you know, we would meet in in national tournaments. Uh, Let me make this clear that at that point, Nadia was already very tall, so it was very intimidating when she was at the net to play against her. and then, around the age of fifteen, you know, uh, my parents didn't have the financial uh, uh, you know money. and at that time, there was not that many sponsors that could help you to really further your uh, your career and uh, the the professional tour. And throughout this all, all this uh, junior career, I went to a private um, uh, institution for for my education through uh, elementary school through high school. So for me it was a no-brainer. I, I knew that I wanted to continue further my education and and play at the highest level of tennis possible. Uh, my coach at that time, uh, Cesar Ovieta, he graduated from New Mexico State where he played number one in doubles and singles and uh, you know he would when he arrived to our hometown, well, back to it because he was from the same town as I was born and raised and I, I practiced there. He would come with all his New Mexico state gear and with his leather jacket. And I was like, Oh my God, I want, <laughs> I want one like that. And he had his uh, conference rings and he would, he was pretty much the one that, uh, um, educated us about the taking the college path and um at the same time um my best friend and doubles partner Joyce Martinez was recruited by the Hornets at Sacramento State and um, we made a promise promise that we were going to go to the same college but you know sort of like pinky promises that you make when you're 16 you don't know if they're gonna be be true to it and fortunately you know when um I uh, I was applying for colleges, Joyce talked to their coaching staff and they say, yeah, we got a spot for for her and I can on a college recruiting visit and the rest of history. So I decided to attend Sacramento State and uh, yeah, very fortunate to have uh, been there in Sacramento for 10 years. I've, uh, got my undergrad degree, then I got my grad degree uh, and I wouldn't change it for anything.
0: Very good. And Nadia, what about your backstory?
1: Um, for me, um, when
2: I'm, a, I'm I was kind of like a package deal, my sister and I, we both uh, played tennis and when we were 13 and 14, uh, my parents made a really tough decision to split the family so that my sister and I can improve our tennis. Mm. So my mom, sister and I, we moved to San Diego, California, and we played all the Southern California tournaments every single weekend. We traveled to LA, um, And yeah, and I mean, you know, the the sectionals, regionals, everything. And by the time my sister was a senior in college, she got an offer from ASU and we were all really happy because also my older brother had just graduated from Arizona State. So um, so we were very happy. And then by the time that I was a senior, I was not considering college tennis. I was my goal was to be pro and, and my parents were very supportive of that. So Uh, So that was my path until I get a phone call from the legendary Sheila McInerney. And she asked me if I want a free trip to visit my sister. And I missed her a lot, so I could not pass up on that opportunity. So I think the next weekend I was taking an official visit to ASU and I loved it. It felt right. And I think 10 minutes before she dropped me off at the airport, I committed to them. It was not expected, but... I did. And, and for sure, um, my years at ASU were probably one of the best months of my life. So I definitely made the right decision.
0: Very cool. And, and Nadia, so you said you came to um, to the States at an earlier age. What, how was your adjustment coming to America and then into the college scene as, as a whole?
2: You know, for me, it wasn't easy. Um, in Mexico City, I my school was a private school where my class size was 25 girls max. And the school I attended to was in Chula Vista, and it was a public school. And I think the class size was over a thousand people. So just that itself was really hard for me. I was not very confident about my English and I could get away because I was so close to the border. I could get away with not speaking a single word probably all throughout my four years. Um, So, um, And then also I got very nostalgic. I miss my family. So all of those emotions Um, I put them on the tennis court. And I think that's why also I got really good. I, as I mentioned earlier, we played tournaments every single weekend in LA. So I I had no time to socialize or go to parties. Um, But again, all my energy went onto onto the tennis court. And once I committed to ASU, I remember Sheila asking my sister if I spoke any English. Like I really was so intimidated by her. I was so, (laughs) I really, I think in the first month we probably spoke three sentences. And then um, and then also I had my sister, then she protected me and helped me a lot. And I remember one time, um, I think that changed things for me at ASU was that I was having an individual with Sheila and I normally had a really good attitude. I love being on the court, but this day I was off. I was not in the right mindset. And she took me out of the court and she took me to her office and she closed the door. I sat down and I started crying. I had no idea why I was crying, I was bawling. <laughs> And she just sat there and told me that she was there to support me, that she wanted the best for me. And I kept sobbing for another five minutes. And then she just said, I need you to do me a favor. And I looked up and just nodded because I couldn't speak. And she's like, I want you to go back on the court and just have one good rally. I want you to finish this individual feeling good about yourself, feeling good about your tennis, feeling good about us. And Sheila knows best. I went back and I had the best rally of my life. And and I think that changed things for me I felt more welcome I felt um I just felt at home I think just more comfortable and then automatically I started speaking more English and my English started improving and and yeah so so that was a little bit of my my adjusting experience um, to the US took a while
0: yeah, yeah, it takes uh, it takes a while, all right. And, and Clarice, what about you? So you you came to the states when you're 18. Had you spent any time in America? You said you played orange bowl, so you were in and out of the states for some tennis. But moving here full time, it was when you went to Sacramento State. Am I right in saying that?
1: Yeah, you're correct. Um, for me, you know, I'm from Chihuahua, Chihuahua, which is a border state. Um, we are only three hours and a half from uh, El Paso, Texas, so I was very familiar with the American way of doing things and just uh, the lifestyle, even though we know, now I know that Texas is a completely different state compared to the culture that we live in 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 California. Had a few family members that they would speak English. Uh, A lot of my cousins were born and raised in El Paso, Texas, so uh, with that said, I was a little bit familiar with it. However, like Nadia, said it was definitely my first year as a freshman I wretched my first semester so I came in in the spring I think in 2018 and I wretched um, and um, I, it, I had the I had the chance to really kind of like uh, uh get myself into what college tennis is about without feeling the pressure of a competition. And I do feel for a lot of international students that they are just especially the ones that come in the spring or in the fall where they have to compete a month after they arrive. I cannot imagine how does that feel. And I didn't get to experience it. Um, I was not as shy as Nadia was. I couldn't care less if my English was not very good. It wasn't pretty funny. It wasn't very pretty at the beginning, uh, but, uh, but it's uh, something that I think Nadia and I had in common is that we found a home, uh, Nadia, uh, Laila, L- L- Nadia's sister. Hi, Laila. You're listening to this um, she opened up the door for Nadia right And the same for me Joyce opened up the door for me for me to feel welcome to the know how where to go where to go for help um, how's the new coaching staff what do they like what do they not like and and I think going through the, that motion um, you know it just it, I just kept getting better and better at as every uh, every season uh, uh, we you know we played um, and then also you know our our coaching staff was was really welcoming our director at that time, uh, Bill Campbell, you know, he, he would call me almost every day and he would go to our practices and making sure that we were doing fine. And, and he would email my father back and forth. And um, I think that just felt a sense that I know Bill for a long time. And then our, our coach, you know, uh, Dimitri Ganashka, back in that day, you know, uh, he was a very successful coach. You know, I came in just like Nadia, I came into a team that was already successful. So I knew that I had to step it up. And I took that to heart and they believe in me. And that's something that um, that I would never forget. You know, I was never, I was not a very solid player at that time. I didn't have my my game very defined. Uh, my fitness was okay, but they believe in me. I had, I, I competed really well. And I think that's what I they recruited me for. Um, but I, I, I think that having them believe in my abilities of the player that I could become it just make me feel more comfortable being in that space um and that's why you know ultimately I, I chose to to be part of the hornet family
0: very good so moving on to your your college uh, coaching career clarice obviously uh, yourself and nadia both very successful college players and nadia you went on to play professionally after college but why did you ultimately decide on college coaching was the profession you wanted to pursue
1: um, for me, if, uh, if you tell me that I was going to be a college coach, I would have laughed at you over and over and over again. And I know this is a lot of answers for a lot of the coaches that come through the podcast. And the reason why, uh, it's because you know, when I graduated uh, from uh, from my undergrad degree, you know, first of all, as an international student, you have to work on on the field, right? You have to work on the field that you study. And I study marketing, and yes, you can do marketing and business and tennis as well, but not so much of the coaching and the mentorship aspect of it. So I went into real estate, and I socially, you know, I, I play on a couple of open tournaments and so on. But I I I didn't think I was I was gonna be an educator. Um, and then for some reason, uh, an opportunity opened up to uh, uh, coach at a private club in Sacramento called Rio de Janeiro Racquet Tennis Club at the time. And um, I just started doing some tennis lessons and one thing led to another. That's how everybody starts. Just few lessons, you know, what's going to happen just extra money. Why not?
0: A gateway drug.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's how they get you, man. They don't offer you full time positions. They open you a part time, few lessons here and there. And I got hooked. Um, I got hooked. And for me, the the decision of becoming uh, a coach as a more permanent and full time position was very simple. I was very eager to make an impact on the, especially of the, of the juniors that, that, that they were coming into our program. And for me, I started seeing a lot of uh, juniors just in the early ages of seven to eight, nine years old that would, that wouldn't fit on other sports, that wouldn't be the fastest, uh, wouldn't be the most social kids. Um, but they were very smart. They will sometimes come into the court with a, with a, with a, with a textbook just so they can read on the breaks. I mean, that's how the, the quality of, of juniors that I was getting and, And they would come with their parents behind them. They would have their shoulders down. You would um, uh, exactly remember. I I would like, so what's your name? You know, my name is James. Okay, James. And um, how's school? Good. And uh, do you like tennis? Yes. Very short answers. And as a Latin American culture, this Mexican myself, you know, I'm eager to know everything about my players. I, that's, I think that's one of my biggest qualities. And I was very happy to see that after a few weeks of working with them, they would come running to the court. They would be so excited to be there. They will be talking that we will be laughing. And, and later on you find out that this kid now has more self-esteem. They have more independence. Uh, They're not relying so much on their parents. And now you're building up their self-esteem through through them learning a new skill that they know that tennis is such a hard thing to do compared to running around and kick kick a kickball right if somebody scores a goal and you don't do anything in the soccer game and at the end of the day you win and so you win but you actually maybe didn't have so much impact compared to tennis so that's how it started and then uh, I got very fortunate to uh, be the head coach at Sacramento State for one year as an interim physician and then my husband and you know. I I found my husband very luckily. And then we moved to the San Francisco Bay area. And then, you know, I'm here now at Academy of Art on my fourth season and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy as I could be very thankful, of course, like any other profession, there is things that you don't like to do. There is a lot of things that you love to do, but at the end of the day, the, the connection that I have with my players and, and, and the lives that I get to to touch um, and I get to be part of it's um, it's uh, it's it it can be bought by anything
0: very good and Nadia what about you can you tell us about your story into the college coaching ranks
1: yeah
2: uh, for me it was very similar to Clarice like I never in my life I, I expected to be be a coach um, when I retired from playing pro tennis it wasn't in my terms I was forced to retire due to a pretty bad injury so I was really mad at tennis and I started working also like Larissa in a marketing job. And I was just not very passionate about it. I liked the content, but it wasn't. It didn't really make me happy until a friend told me that um, a local school, La Jolla Country Day was looking for a, for a tennis coach if I wanted to just teach in the afternoons. And I tried it a couple of times and I really liked it. I found my passion for tennis again. And, and I think the kids, um, uh, reactions to me were really good. They liked me. They, they liked what I had to say. I think by then I was still, I still had a WTA ranking. So they asked a lot about my stories, about my trips, my turn, the tournaments I played, who I played against. So it definitely sparked like the passion back into tennis for me. And very shortly I realized that I like coaching tennis at a higher level. So, um, when I realized that I went online and just looked to see if there was any openings, I, at USD at the University of San Diego. And I don't know if it was fate or whatever it was, but it turned out turns out that there was. And um I've been here. This is my seventh season. I'm very lucky to be where I am. I'm very thankful to the head coach, Terry Stevens, for, for giving me the opportunity uh, to grow and, and, and find my vocation in coaching. And and like Gaisa said, um, I think the part of coaching is just it's just very rewarding to see um our players grow not only on the tennis court but also as people and seeing them mature and 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 also the cool part is that once they graduate they become lifelong friends and that's that's pretty cool to see it had it happened between Sheila and I and now I'm seeing it with my with my uh former players so so I'm super happy where I am very thankful to the University of San Diego and 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 yeah it's just funny how things play out because I I never expected to be a, a tennis coach
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. It is. Uh, we just never know where we're going to end up. And and uh, um, I, I ended up coaching eight years at the University of Oklahoma. If somebody had told me in my twenties I'd be living in in the state of Oklahoma uh, in my thirties, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't have believed them. But uh, uh, you just don't know when, where this profession is going to take you. And it's it's great to hear. Uh, how well both of you are getting on in your current roles and in your current cities, uh, Clarice? Can you can you talk us uh, through a little bit about? The experience you've had outside of college tennis at any time uh, I speak with a coach, I'm always fascinated to hear what lessons they've learned outside of the college coaching industry and how they apply some of those those lessons. So like you said, you worked in real estate. You're also uh, you know, an entrepreneur. And so can you kind of talk us through some of the work you've done and how you apply that to, to building the, the program at the Academy of Art like you've done in the, the last four years?
1: Definitely, no. I always have had multiple interests. Um, But it's something that since I was a young girl, I used to make uh, wallets out of paper and then put like contact paper and sell them. I always would do all these different things outside tennis. And um, now that I'm doing it as an adult, as a mom and as a wife, I'm like, what am I still doing? I need to focus on one thing at a time, but I can't, I can help it. When I uh, graduated from uh, from Sac State uh, with my undergrad, you know, I went to a real estate, and you know, I loved it. Uh, a great opportunity to work for great leaders and great um, visionaries and entrepreneurs more than anything. Um, and then after that, I, you know, I, 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 I had to stay in the United States. I want, I didn't want to go back to Mexico at that time. It was not time for me. So I got my my grad degree, um, an MBA. And I got an entrepreneurship and global business. And while I was there, you know, um, as a student athlete, you don't get the chance to really be part of the university on an academic way because you're traveling. Um, You cannot be part of organizations. Um, you cannot meet so much people outside um, the athletics because of, you are so into it, especially like Nadia and myself. You know, Nadia and I competed, you know, bone to bone. Uh, you know, we we were ranked up there in the nation, you know, I did st- all these extra stuff to get better as an athlete. So I never really dive in into my major. And when I went to grad school, I had the opportunity to become more of my, have a more of entrepreneurial man's mindset. So my, um, Boyfriend at the time, now, thankfully, my husband, everything turned out to be great. Um, we developed a, a startup company called Activity Jungle. Um, it lasted for almost three years. And Activity Jungle was running a vision of, of diversity, you know, kind of going into the topic that we're going to uh, talk about later. It's about giving parents the opportunity to find activities for their children. You know, as a tennis coach, I figured out that, that parents would just have the kids do the big sports. Right. The basketball, the baseball, the soccer, the, uh, swimming and, and tennis sometimes, of course. Um, but I wanted parents to uh, to have I wanted parents to see online and a uh, directory of different sports and not only sports for arts, tutoring, guitar lessons, karate lessons and all that. And at the same time, give opportunities to the activity providers to uh, promote their their program. So it was a one-stop destination platform, online platform, where parents and activity providers could connect and benefit from one another, okay, through the services and all that. So we got a great support from the Sacramento State um, MBA program from the community. Uh, But as soon as we got married, we got very fortunate to jump. My husband got a job with an insurance company that he could not refuse. And I got offered the head position to, to coach at Sac State. So after that, we put a pause on it. And um, one of the things that I have learned with my entrepreneurial, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, baby, it's that what it takes to build something from, the, from zero. And we bootstrapped the company ourselves for all these years. We put a lot of money into it. Of course, we got a lot of support, but we didn't get to the investing. We didn't get to the seed rounds. We didn't get to angel investing and so on. So uh, I, I I apply that to 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 and I teach that to to my students um, on the core and off the core about what it takes to build something and how long does it take to build something amazing. I mean we were three years in we hadn't made a dollar, right? It was something that it was going to be long term. So I teach that. And then on top of that, you know, I'm a professor. one of the other things that I love to do. Um, When we moved to the Bay Area, I wasn't sure that I was going to continue college coaching because I didn't know if the position was going to be available. There was not that many coaching. uh, There's not that many schools in the Bay Area. Thankfully, Academy of Art had an opening. So at the same time that I applied for Academy of Art, I applied for Santa Rosa Junior College. And with my MBA degree and my entrepreneurial experience so far, um, I was able to get a, uh, a professor at Nick John's position, which is a part-time um, as a professor. So I have been teaching four years at a Santa Rosa Junior College, uh, classes from innovation, to uh, business ethics to business communications for startups and um, I treat my classroom students as a student athlete <laughs> and I teach my student athletes as a classroom student so try to really focus on the academic part um, of, of academic and sports part kind of at the same time and it has been really beneficial because I apply some uh, teaching concepts uh, that I do in the classroom with my students and I apply them on the court, and then I do it the the other way around. So um, I love it. I I wouldn't. I can pick. I can pick. If you would give me full time for both, I can pick. Um, hmm. I love being a professor, and I love being a coach. So I guess uh, education. It's something that I w- I would stay in this industry for as long as I I have to work <laughs> or mm. I I work.
0: And in your research for your, your classes that you teach, is there anything that's come up, any piece of research, any piece of, of, of reading, anything that you've exposed to that has really changed your mind in how you operate as a college coach, not just may, maybe not so much on the court, but maybe yeah. off the court, just in terms of the, the business side or the administration side of being a college tennis coach?
1: I think the concepts of how you teach or how you present concepts to your student athletes. I think that's extremely important, especially nowadays. Student athletes have a limited uh, retention rate, and they are if you're telling them a speech of ten minutes, they're not going to listen to you. So you have to really make sure you get to the point of what you're trying to um, uh, what you're trying to accomplish with them. Whatever you are uh, criticizing or giving a tip about their game, their strategy, or just their uh, body language on board—you have to be very precise and really, and really use your words carefully. I, I think that's something that has been really useful for me in the last few years. You know, it's a trial and error. But I think how you communicate with them is extremely important. So I have used a couple of uh, techniques that I use on the classroom because, again, you know, I teach three hour and a half courses. So they're like one once a week course. They're very mm-hmm. long. So the attention span really decreases at the end. So I have to find ways to keep them engaged. So I apply that on, on the tennis court. The same, You're you're in a, you're doing a two hour and a half practice and you got to find a way to keep motivating your athletes to keep being playing and practicing at the high intensity.
0: Mm, okay. And and speaking of, of entrepreneurial ventures and, and a big reason why I wanted to have you guys on the podcast is around your creation of the Latina Tennis Coach uh, organization. So, Nadia, can you tell us how this came into existence?
2: Yes, of course. Um, I just want to say that Clarice is the leaving embodiment of a go-getter just you know I think that's why we started this and and so I would say uh, Latina tennis coach originated when she came down to recruit at a hard court nationals in 2018 um, as she said we've been friends since we were nine and ten years old and she stayed at my house and I think in this trip we we got to bond and profe- as professionals. And that was a really cool feeling for, for us to get to, to know that we could count on each other, not only as friends, but also as professionals. That even after she left, we had, we called each other every other week just to talk about our jobs, about our student athletes, about practice, how to do asper drills, just really having her as a support system was so helpful to me personally. And so in 2019, we decided to do a WhatsApp group with all of our Mexican friends that were also uh, coaches. Mm. And so uh, we did this group, I think we were what, like seven seven or eight uh, members. And I remember specifically one time that a coach uploaded a picture of, no, sorry, a video of one of her students' forehands. And she said, help, I cannot figure it out. And in a stand-up stand 10 minutes, we were all dissecting that forehand and trying to figure out what was wrong with it. And I think it was very helpful to the coach, but it was also very helpful to all of us just to see the different perspectives in coaching and techniques. Appro- like Everything was so different and the approaches were so different from what, at least what speaking for myself, what, what I was used to. So it was very beneficial. And that group kept going. Um, we can, We I think it was a very active group. And then, Uh, When the pandemic happened a year ago, um, I remember Clarissa sending a message on the group saying, we need to grow, invite your friends and colleagues. Uh, She said something like the support system needs to get bigger. And that's when she changed the, the group name to like Mexican coaches to like Latina tennis coach. And we grew in a span of two months. We grew from eight members to 60 and it was all organic, um, all word of mouth, all, you know, it's a small world. I think the tennis world is very small, but uh, that after countless of meetings we decided that we needed to make this organization legitimate because like clearly there was a need and there was um, um, an opportunity for us to grow as as, as Latinas. So um, we created a board of directors and of course Clarice is our president. And uh, part of the board of directors is um, Maru Brito from Tulane. She's also a part of of that uh, group. And then also we created uh, an advisory board that has 17 women that have fought for women's tennis in their respective countries for decades. And these women uh, consist of uh, several of them are former top 50 players, WTA uh, players, such as Angelica Gabaldon from Mexico, um, Mariana Diaz Oliva from Argentina. She's also uh, a sports commentator for ESPN um, in Latin America. Uh, we have Catalina Castaño, also top 50 WT player uh, from Colombia, and Milagros Sequera. Um, just to name a few, Milagros works. Uh, she's from Venezuela and she works at the USTA. Um, we also have several uh, Billy Jean King Captains, former and current captains. We have uh, Roberta Rousaglish from Brazil. Mercedes Paz, I think she was cup 20 WTA, but she's um, the head cup captain for Argentina. Uh, Fabiola Zulaga from from Colombia. So we just have a bunch of really experienced and successful women um, to guide us. Um, We also have two former collegiate tennis players, Melody Falco, she graduated from Texas. Uh, she directs the biggest tennis academy in Mexico called uh, mm-hmm. in Yucatan, Mérida. And um, Joel Shad, she's also a Sun Devil, and she was the Fed um, Cup captain for Republican De- Dominican Republic. I always mix it up with Spanish. Mm-hmm. Republican, no, Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's a very uh, great group. We actually call them uh, Las Madrinas, which means our godmothers and they are just a group of women that guide us, mentor us, they make sure that we stay true to our mission and vision and also they they open paths for us. They have a lot of connections and they've definitely helped us you know navigate through through this organization. And just to give you an idea of what Latina Tennis Coach is, um, we are an organization that is dedicated to empowering women our mission at Latina Tennis Coach is to recruit, promote, uh, educate and support uh, Latinas in the tennis industry so that they can keep improving in their professional development so that most importantly, we can, they can stay in our sport and we can gain
0: representation. Clarissa, then uh, Nadia has touched upon s- several of the, the benefits there, but are there there's some other benefits that, that you can talk about and what is maybe some of the feedback you've received from the, the, the latest additions to this group, the, the newer members of this group, and, and what is uh, some of the things they're telling you about uh, how it's maybe helping them on in their day-to-day operations?
1: Yeah, definitely. No, uh, there's a lot of there is a lot of benefits uh, to belong to Latina Tennis Coach. Uh, right now, we're we're more than 170 members, um, and everything has grown organically, and it has been a a, a team effort. And the reason why I say uh, that is because you know that's a benefit on itself. Uh, the, the the access to that network is it's huge, and we have been receiving a lot of great positive feedback, not only from the madrinas. Uh, that uh, Nadia was uh, telling you, uh, or from the, the the members, but from just the outside tennis community in Latin America, you know, um, uh, the ITF the ITF um, had a Hispanic uh, conference. Uh, I think it was at the end of November or beginning of December, where only 21% of the coaches around the world are female, and this includes. You know, um, the United States, which, as you know, at, at least you go to a club in the United States, a tennis club, and there is at least one female coach, at least. I mean, being very positive, maybe two. In Mexico or Latin America, there is zero. I have asked this question in multiple lives uh, promoting Latina tennis coach, and I asked this question how many female coaches do you have on staff? And, pre, pretty. There is nothing. And, and of course, uh, some of the main benefits is, of course, belonging to the biggest Latina uh, network of coaches uh, around the world. Uh, the number two is uh, we are, uh, you know, one of the biggest mission is education. So we wanna we wanna continue educating ourselves in, in current topics. So we offer monthly, um, monthly educational uh, conferences or seminaries uh, to our membership. And one of the things that, that Nadia said is, you know, every member that comes through uh Latina tennis coach, and it's something I know you're a number a number geek, Dave. So uh, you know, we have a bunch of data about where these Latina coaches are what's their education uh, background, um, how long they be coaching, where are they coaching, like all the amazing data that has never been countified ever before. And with that, it gives us an idea of where they are, where they, where they want to go, and how can we support them. So based on that information, we create um, educational um, seminaries for them monthly. Like this month, we're having a few uh, next weekend uh, tennis and pandemic and how coaches need to be adapting and and create going from a one an opportunity and then the other one is um you know um the the, the facility the facility to just share um what they're going through uh, through a whatsapp group and um and, and and hopefully you know they can learn uh keep learning um, uh, from other coaches with know, diverse opinions. Uh, Right now, our our main goal on 2021 is recruiting. So for all those coaches that are listening right now, that if you are from Latino descendant, whatever you speak a fluent Spanish or not, we have a lot of Brazilians on the group as well. They don't speak fluent uh, Spanish. Um, You know, they uh, feel more than welcome to join us, uh, this group. And uh, 2022. That's when we're we're hoping to um, to start fundraising to get a platform of mentorship. It's something that I think the ITA ITA hosts, which I start looking into it as well. Uh, but start doing some mentorship program where you match, you know, the younger generations with the more veteran generations, just to help them stay on the game. I think when Naya said, you know, the goal is to keep them in the game. I think Nadia and I have, and probably you have a lot of friends that have been, that have coached for two three years, and then they change the industries because they don't feel maybe there is a path for them. There is no support. Um, especially when you become parents to be eight hours, nine hours on the court per day, it's almost impossible. Um, especially with the sun and the quality of, of just everything. And then the traveling gets to you where you don't want to travel. So if you don't travel, you cannot see your juniors play. You can see you know, your college team play. So I guess what we're trying to do is to maintain women in sports. Um, And I know there's a lot of different organizations that are doing that in the United States. But we're taking that and we're kind of like applying those concepts into the Latin American countries that is non-existent. And um, and hopefully with that platform that we're going to create, uh, we also uh, for job searching. Right. We have heard a lot from other coaches that they want to hire women. They cannot find it. I'm like, well, yes, because we're not that many of us and the good ones are already taken. you really think about it and the other thing is that the ones that are starting are not given the opportunity because they don't have experience but that doesn't mean that they're not eager uh, for an opportunity or eager to keep learning and keep getting better so those are the main uh, benefits David and you know we still have a long road uh, to go Um, you know this is just starting and, and and hopefully with the support of The ITA, the USDA, you know, we had a meeting with Anne, with the president of the UTR not so long ago. She's completely on board. Anything we need from from them. Um, So we are uh, we are we're working hard. It takes a lot of hours, like Naya said, after countless meetings. But we have a board of uh, a, a board of directors and we have three committees and we have there's 16 of us that are working on this mission. And we're excited to keep moving forward.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And you want any input? Just some of the lessons I've learned through the through the mentorship program. Uh, please uh, let's set up a call and do that, just so you you don't trip up and make some of the mistakes maybe I, I made in the first year. But we're still learning a lot as we go. But yeah, you're yeah. right. Especially there's that sweet spot as we spoke uh, with Dr. Nicole Lavoy last year with the women's coaches. Um, you know, there's this kind of four to seven year yeah. mark that's when most women drop out of, of the coaching profession and um, if you're able to uh, hopefully provide reasons and support for them to stay beyond seven years then they often make it a lifelong pursuit so that that is a, a critical time in, in uh, many women's coaching development and, and professions so uh, Nadia if, if I'm listening to this how do I join if I want to not so we, have,
2: um, we have everything is on Instagram we have an Instagram page called Latina tennis coach and you and in our bio, we have a link to the survey that Clarissa talked about. And once you submit the survey, you're in. So it's very simple. And the only requirements for you to join the club or to be in is just to be a woman of Latino or Hispanic background who is involved in the tennis industry. This could be a tennis coach, a nutritionist, a sports psychologist, an athletic trainer, sports writer. So any profession that has to do with tennis is not just necessarily coaching. Um, is welcome to join us. Uh, I think right now, too, we have a lot of agents. and and it's just again, it's just strengthening our network, you know, just getting stronger and 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 um and also, this is kind of like we're sending the bat signal to all the coaches listening or whoever's listening to this podcast that if you know of a student athlete or a colleague that that fits the requirements, to please send them our way because we're gonna take good care of them.
0: yeah, definitely. And uh, so just, to- a question for both of you. I mean, just around your work and, and you know, coming to America, the experiences you've had, um, you know, whether it's been at clubs, whether it's recruiting, whether it's at tournaments, as as Clarissa talked about, just as, as she looks around the world, very few women coach in general. But how can tennis break away from its elitist kind of non-inclusive image and become more welcoming for players and coaches of, of minority? groups. Nadia, I'll, I'll put that one on you first.
2: I know that's, that's a very complex question, but um, I think just in general, increasing nationwide accessibility to tennis facilities at no cost for kids uh, regarding of their socioeconomical economical uh, class would definitely help tennis break away from that elitist um, image. Uh, also, representation is key to welcoming players and coaches of color to the sport of tennis. As the saying says, if you can see it, you can be it. Um, Another thing would be to give promotions to coaches of color so that they can get in leadership leadership positions. And I think that would be a very beneficial thing to the inclusivity of the sport. And lastly, um, organizations like us, like Latina Tennis Coach, who support vulnerable communities, uh, can play a big role in the increased participation of people with diverse
0: backgrounds. Very good. And Clarissa, anything to add to that?
1: Oh, that's a great answer, Nadia. She's no. like, <laughs> framework that and sent a couple of emails to a lot of different people. <laughs> um, but I think for me, um, it's the decision makers. Um, I'm just going to add to what already Nadia successfully said. It's just the decision makers, making sure that when there is a positioning that's about to open up, that they do the due diligence. I have heard these uh, excuse so many times and really... It bugs me. Well, the position is on LinkedIn. The position is on the website, but women don't apply. Well, we all know, and I don't know this number, but there is a huge statistic that says that uh, women that don't feel qualified enough, they don't apply for the job. And uh, sometimes women have a little more complicated life than some men. I'm not, this is just a general, I'm not uh, trying to say that women against men or anything like that. Um, but I think it's important that the decision makers uh, take a, take a bet on, on, on younger female coaches. And I think they, they did it with me. Um, I'm very thankful to Sacramento state for giving me, I had no experience in college coaching at the age of 26. I was, here you go, go be a head coach. And then when uh, we moved to the Bay area, you know, at the position got open at Academy of art, the team was like top 10 in the nation already Um, very successful players. And um, my, my athletic director, still my athletic director, Brad Jones, he, he, he put me under his wing. Of course, you know, I had the the right fit to be a coach, but you know, as a college coach, there's just so much other things that you need to work on. You need to be developed. Um, so I, I think that if an athletic director is listening to these or a head coach is listening to these, or just a, a staff member of the athletic department, you know, just give the opportunity to, to, to younger female coaches because they're eager they're there because they want to be there. We could be doing something else in our lives, and especially the smart ones, because we're capable of of making way more other things than just being on the tennis court uh, and being able to um, to educate uh, these young female athletes. And I think a lot of us, they, the reason why we do what we do is because we uh, we we love it. And, and I think that passion for becoming for being a college coach, uh, it's something that you cannot teach. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy to say that, uh, you know, at Academy of Art, uh, two of the, co- the girls that have graduated from Academy of Art are coaching. And, um, uh, and they, they asked me, what do you think? You know, one of the, uh, my number one player, she's now the grad assistant at University of Nevada. Hi, Monica. And, um, and I, I love that, you know, she has other passions too. She's getting her MBA. She's an entrepreneur. She's designing her own fashion line. And then she's a coach. So I, I, I just feel very, uh, very, very excited for her for, for being co- be able to do that. I have another girl that she's in Italy and she's, you know, she has already all these certifications and she's very passionate about, this. she's teaching junior kids uh, uh, in, in Italy. So um, again, it's, it goes back to creating opportunities and, and look for the, for the female coaches. So now if, a, somebody's looking for uh, for diversity in the program. You know, they're more than welcome to reach out to us. We have a lot of qualified, um, high level uh, uh, co- uh coaches in, in our in in our organization. All of them have play at the highest level. I can say maybe there is only like twenty of them that play at the national level, but all of them at some point play at uh, uh, at the pro tour. Um, and I don't know if uh, in this period. That, that ends that question. Um, but I gave you some statistics that I don't have them in my mind with me, Dave about how many college uh, how many members do we had that play college I think it's like 30 something right Nadia?
2: I have it yeah so out of the hundred and seventy members uh, forty six are current I mean sorry our former uh, division one players and I think around, Close to 60 was a uh, former just uh, NAIA and D1 and D2 and D3 all combined is uh, 60 members. Mm-hmm. And right now we have 10 uh, current college coaches um, that are our current members of Latina Tennis Coach.
0: Yeah. Well, th- th- those are great answers, amazing answers, and and definitely lots for uh, all of us to think about, especially, like you said, uh, people in, in leadership positions, whether it's athletic directors, head coaches, or, or people like myself that work in in, in tennis administration. Um, just one last question for you both. You both mentioned uh, your, your early uh, years as, as a college tennis player and the influence, the positive influence your coaches had on you, um, you know, making you feel well. Welcome, making you feel like a part of the time, helping with your transition to a new country, away from family, friends, new language. Um, what, what are maybe some steps you guys have taken with your teams to create a more inclusive environment? Maybe there's a story that you can tell or there's maybe actions that you take, uh, especially when you have an international student athlete. <laughs> on board your team? Is, is there anything that you do in the first uh, few days, few weeks, few months to uh, help them with that? Transition? Uh,
1: no, that I think that's a great question, Dave. Um, in, in our team, we're full international students. I have tried really hard to uh, uh, recruit Americans. Uh, it just hasn't worked out in the last few years that I've been here at Academy of Art. Um, one of the main things that I talk my students about is, um, when it, it literally this goes to the first recruiting call. And when I talked to us about San Francisco, and I mean, we all know how diverse in culture the city is itself and Academy of Art as a default is an art institution, right? So coming in, you have a lot of different points of view. You have a lot of different types of art. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of, uh, people from all over around the world, Academy of Art without athletics is also very um, international uh, university. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of students from Asia and from Europe that come through our programs. So right from the first recruiting call, I tell them that they're going to be exposed to diversity and different cultures. And then I ask them a question about how is their environment back home? And some of them are, um, you know, some of them, they have always trained at the same club the whole life or at the same facility, or they have not traveled as much because they don't have the financial possibility, so I brought them up their brought them up their horizons, right? Um, so that's very important to me that they know that what they're getting into, and they're getting into a very diverse team. And then if they're from Europe, you know, most of our team is from, is European. One girl right now is from uh, Taiwan, so then I talk to them about having the opportunity to to learn from others not only to learn from another girl that it's might be in the same country as as they're from. And then at the end of that first recruiting call still I talk about myself and say, listen, I play college tennis and I know the the whole process. I understand what you're going through and I understand how you're gonna feel on that first year. And you know, I I I I have I I believe that, you know, diversity and I think we will hopefully we all believe this that by diversity and inclusion, it just makes all, all feel in and not feeling, but just makes us better. And then when they get here and they're starting to, um, they they start to to practice and to compete. Then you know, I bring anecdotes from my old college days, and I talk to from I, I talk about my um, my experiences with my diverse team. You know, back in the day, we had girls from Peru, Malaysia, Belarus, uh, Russia, Germany. I mean, God, everywhere. And I I talked to them about the words that I learned. I talked to them about the way that they do things in other countries or the way that they practice. And then they share their practices from back home. So it's like a big melting pot. And um, the the other day, you know, our girl, Nicole Xiao, she was telling us about some uh, how to say some words in Chinese which is extremely different language. And we were all laughing and try to try to say it. And we were trying to repeat the word, how to say queen. So we stay saying like, "vamos reina," which is, it's, it's let's say it means let's go queen. And then we try to say it in different languages and that just creates a good atmosphere. Um, and, 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 and that's something that I, I mean, I, I immigrated here, so I have to enforce diversity. So um, hopefully we can have, I mean, I would love to learn more ways of, um, of uh, creating an inclusive environment as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And Nadia, do you have any thoughts or, or what are some things you guys do at, at USD?
1: I think
2: um, it's very similar than, said. you know, our team is also very international, but also to add, now that we have more Americans, I think it's very important to add the inclusivity and the the differentiation of opinions, like to accept those, like not everyone's gonna have the same opinion, not everybody's gonna have the same political views, not everybody's gonna be the same, but instead of judging each other, um, embracing each other, especially like for us last semester, obviously for everyone, there was a lot of political tension and, and, and all of that, but just instead of just judging each other, just having a that conversation, I think itself made, made us very inclusive that, creating that safe space like hey you can have your opinion and and you can be heard and you're going to be acknowledged it's also very important just talking about that um the diversity of opinions as well as um, cultures and and yeah i think like i think that is mentioned everything you know just having such an international environment also at usd um it just adds value and culture to every single one of us and and even me that you know i when I played pro, I traveled to over 40 countries, and and I'm still learning from this 18-year-old um, uh, German girl that just arrived to the team. You know, so so it's just always being open to learning new things, learning new cultures, learning new experiences, and learn, learning new opinions. I think it's it's super important. And also at USD, are we're very close to our men's team, and they're also a very diverse team. So just embracing each other and 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 really creating that atmosphere like family atmosphere is is just much more um inclusive to the whole situation and it it gives you that sense of community and family
0: very good well guys thank you so much for uh this interview today i'm so uh uh, inspired by the initiative that you've taken here you're you're both full-time coaches have a lot going on um and to take the steps to create the latina tennis coach is uh above and beyond what most people are willing to do so i'm really excited to see how it continues to develop and, and again anything the ita can do to uh, help promote and and uh, spread the word absolutely please uh, stay in touch and um Hopefully we can uh, do this again in a year and, and see uh, the growth. And I'm sure you'll have gone into the thousands by then. So keep up the great work.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing is like, we hope to get to the thousands, it's just we don't know if there's a thousand of us. So hopefully by us recruiting, um, we will get there. And uh, thank you so much for giving us a space to, to let you know um, who we are and what our mission is and where we're about. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having us.